Blog Talk Radio. Uh, for the Canelo Bivol 
uh, pay-per-view stuff, a little uh, follow-up on that. We'll save that for later and all that good stuff. But anyway, if this is your first time listening to the rope dope Radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash rope dope Radio. You don't have to go to Block Talk and rope dope if you don't want to and download the show there or, or listen to the browser. You can find the platform on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Player FM, TuneIn, Spricker, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and more. While you're at it, why don't you head on over to thegruelingtruth.com. And one more thing. Um, you know, I've been pitching this direct TV stream ad for a while, and the prices did start as low as $69.99. It's the best live TV and on demand, but they're running a special, a limited time special for two months. You get $30 off. So for two months, it's $54.99. And I talked about those upgrades for the Choice and Ultimate packages in the past, too. Right now, if you do upgrade to the Choice or Ultimate, already included will be HBO Max, Showtime, Stars, Epics, and Cinemax. Okay? So that's something to, uh, I think, yeah, for three months. So something to think about there. That's DirecTV Stream. Like I said, right now they have a limited time, $54.99, so that's $30 for the first two months that you save off of it and all that good stuff. Anyway, um, as far as last weekend goes, like I said, I'm not going to do my normal breakdown as, as much just because it's late in the week. I don't even have that much time today, unfortunately. Um, my schedule's just been nuts. You know, it is what it is. I'm sure you don't want to hear about it. People's schedules, you know, all over the country and all over the world are like, yeah, tell me about it. I do want to uh, take some time out for some recent, you know, mass shooting tragedies. Uh, you know, it's we could definitely improve as a country. That's, that's basically what I'll say. It's not about taking guns away, but there are some basic things uh, that can um, improve on what's going on right now. You're, you're never going to stop all shootings or anything like that, of course. But, uh, yeah, my it just, you know, the old thoughts and prayers, to be honest with you, it just gets old if you really think about it. Um, and But my, my thoughts, you know, it's it just the sorrow. Just I couldn't imagine. Um, and we, we it seems like we get on these runs, too, of these mass shootings, you know. Oh, this one, then that one. Just yesterday... At a different Texas school, there was a reported AR-15 and AK-47 in someone's car, in a student's car. Um, so I'm not here to try to get all political, but I think this is way beyond politics, or at least it should be. Unfortunately, it's not. Um, like I said, it's not about taking away guns. Just think about that. How would they go about doing that anyway, that, that, that rhetoric of they're going to take the guns? How? Do you think the military and the police are going to go door to door and just say, hey, man, can you give me your gun? Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Have a good day. But there are some things that we could at least limit. We could make it, you know, like the Las Vegas shooting, these recent shootings. If you have a different style of gun that's not an AR-15 and you see this AR-15 time and time again with these mass shootings, um, we could improve. That's my point. We can improve. We can do something about this to improve. Anyway, back to the ring. Um, for the Showtime card, um, Fierro and Nunez 
was a pretty, you know, fun fight there for a while. Um, I enjoyed it. You know, I thought it was a good fight. Um, at the start, anyway, uh, I thought uh, it was kind of a, you know, it was a two-way fight for a, for a, a while. That's for sure. Um, I had it six to four. All three judges had it like that as well. Um, for me, I mean, it was just fun right off the bat. Fierro was was probably the first six rounds. You could have went three three three. You could have went that maybe four two. But Nunez was just more under control. His countering ability, uh, he was just the the more accurate, the more fundamentally sound um, fighter. It just was. Now uh, I think Fierro, you know, um, finished pretty strong, especially that tenth round. He, you know, he finished stronger, and I mean the the punch count was really close. Nunez, I think the difference maker was the clean punching and in some of the body work as well, 47 to 23 there. That is a really sturdy performance by Nunez, but a good fight. I was uh, looking forward to it. And, um, you know, that counter right hand, um, the uppercuts, like I said, the body work, he just, to me, there were some times where, you know, Fierro would, um, would steal rounds possibly, or just be busier, he was just kind of a little bit more out of control, just throwing punches at him. Whereas, like I said, Nunez was more in control, uh, the footwork. Um, you know, it's not that Fierro didn't do any body work, or, you know, he, he did some good stuff in there. He definitely would throw, you know, quick combos and get out there. But to me, um, you know, I, I just thought Nunez clearly won the fight. But it wasn't some sort of landslide, like I said, I agree. Uh, you know, with how the judges had it. But a, a good fight. Nunez comes out, and, and I want to see more of them, no doubt about it. Uh, both of these guys made a pretty good account for themselves. Then the uh, the co-feature, Jorge Cotto and Yoelvis Gomez. I thought this was a good step-up fight for Gomez. Um, Jorge Cotto is no chump. He's going to make you work for it. Um, and, you know, how many rounds did he win? You know, it's not like it, it was uh, – a super close fight on the rounds, right? I mean, I think the judges didn't give him a round. I think you could have maybe given the fifth, um, but it was good for Gomez to get rounds. Uh, he came out working the body, but also he was a little wild with his punches. You know, he's a young fighter, um, but there was good action throughout. I thought uh, Koto or Kota definitely made him work for it. You know. Um, he would land like his big hook from time to time. He would have these little mini rallies or flurries, um, you know, where he did, he landed some good uppercuts throughout the fight, but it wasn't anything that was winning a bunch of rounds. Like I said, but I just, I, I thought Yoelvis Gomez needed this, you know, a guy that's, you know, hopefully if he could stay in there, that's the thing. If you can get him early, uh, Kodo, and if you're a big, big puncher, um, you know, we've seen what happens. But he's also been in some tight fights, and I, so I thought this was, uh, you know, I did like, I'll say this, I thought it was a good test, and Gomez, down the stretch, did really start to land the heavier shot, mixing it up um, to the head and body, and like I said, the ninth and 10th round even, he started picking up the pace more and more. 
And so I did like, you know, I did like what I saw out of that to where uh, for a while, sometimes young fighters can just get stuck in a groove where they're not doing a whole lot, you know what I mean? And some people say, oh, they're, they're bored in there. To an extent, I could see that at times. But um, overall, it kind of showed, okay, you know, Yoelvis definitely needs some more work, but he got the rounds in. He got the rounds in, so I think the fight served its purpose. And as far as like a highlight reel type thing with the main event, I guess you could say it. It served its purpose there. Benavides moves on to what, 26-0 and 0 with, is it 22 knockouts or 21 knockouts or something like that? But, um, you know, Benavides came out with the jab, with the body shots. And, um, I mean, right out the gate, you could tell, you know, he hit him with, a, I think it was a left-hand late. Um, that definitely had uh, Lemieux in some, some problems, you know. And there was a flurry, and right at the end, you're like, wow, dude. Carried over, because the second round, what, 20 seconds, 30 seconds in, boom, knocked him down. I think it was the two uppercuts and a right hand. It was an uppercut, a right hand, and I think the second uppercut knocked him down. Now, to Lemieux's credit, <laughs> he did rally back some, um, but it didn't last long. You know what I mean? Um, the body punching was really starting to add up, along with those uppercuts for Benavidez. Another thing I did like from Benavidez is, you know, he had that guard up, that pretty good high guard that he was able to block some shots to. Um, in the past, especially when he was younger, you could see him get hit with a lot more shots. Not that he's a great defender by any stretch, or even like a really, really good defender. Um but, you know, he just kept that onslaught coming, more pressure, more clean punches. Um, like I said, these little mini flurries from the Mew. But before you know it, I think it was a left left hook and a right hand. And after that, it was like a, a flurry. After that, it was like, all right, dude, the corner stoppage. The fight stopped the fight, you know what I mean? And I thought, I did think it was good stoppage. You know, there's no point in uh, taking that much, da- you know, damage at that point. So, you know, where does Lemieux go? Um, I don't think Plant's next um, because, you know, the dude's coming off a knockout. And I, and I said this from the start. You know, I thought, I mean, maybe this fight will happen. Maybe it won't. Um, but Anthony Durrell, I thought, would be just a good comeback fight off of a knockout and then aim for something bigger like Benavides or whatever. Uh, will Charlo move up after his fight and fight him? you know, later this year, we'll see. David Morrell got pretty pissed off at, uh, Benavides was funny, dude. He was calling people, uh, bitches and stuff like that after the fight. He definitely sent a strong message that may not give him the fight or get him the fight. Cause that, you know, we know how that works, but sometimes when you make it personal, it, it, it can, it's just hard hitting, right? It's just hard hitting. So, um, like I said, the people that want Benavides plant next, I could see, you know, I could just see it, you know, one of Benavides, okay, so Benavides beats him, let's say he stops him. Oh, you just stopped a guy who just got stopped. You know, it's, I don't mind Caleb Plant coming back against a decent opponent, which that Anthony Durrell would be decent, 
you know, I'm not giving him a bunch of credit, like, oh, dude, he's taking on killer after killer. But he's, he's solid um, for what it is, and then chase it. But, yeah, I mean, obviously if, if, if Jamal gets through injury-free and, and beats Zulecki, then it would be nice to see that fight. Like I said, I, David Burrell, David Burrell. Morell wants to step up. That'd be great, too. Uh, but, you know, those are the fights that you definitely want to see. There was some rumors about, you know, Andre potentially signing with the PBC. That would be another good fight. Benavides has made it known that he wants that. But, you know, then, of course, his promoter has made it known that he doesn't necessarily want that. So um, we'll see. You know what I mean? We will see. And, of course, a lot of people are like, oh, he's the mandatory for Canelo now. Dude, stop. First of all, no matter what what he says about mandatories, you're not a mandatory until they call it. That's just the bottom line. You could you could be called a mandatory. You could say he's the number one contender. You could say, oh, dude, he fought a title eliminator. He's the Mando. You don't become a Mando until you're called. And in this scenario with the WBC, because of the franchise bullshit, Canelo doesn't have mandatories, people. Can we stop with that? Like, do I think it's bullshit? Yeah, but to sit here and call him the Mando, you know, pay attention. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's no such thing as a Mando, and I know what you're saying. Um, and we'll get into this boxing Twitter segment a little bit because people are tweeting all sorts of shit that you're like, what are you talking about, dude? You know, it, it's just like we can all agree that the franchise champion is bullshit, just like the super champion for the WBA was bullshit. They didn't have to see you know, mandatory. So it is what it is. Hopefully that, you know, Charlo decides to come up and wait and take a big risk instead of just waiting to see if Canelo will fight him at 168. Um, now, it's not like, you know, and that's no dumping on Charlo just to dump on him, uh, but that's what it would have to take, him going up for a risky fight like that instead of, because right now it just doesn't seem, you know, like he tried to get the Munguia. We've seen the, the, the Golovkin stuff fall apart in the past. That's not going to happen. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, some people think, you know, they're going to all wait a year without fighting anyone and, and wait for Canelo to come free off that contract. Um, and ultimately, it's one of those things that, you know, it sucks, but you will see. On to the ESPN card, Janabik. Um, is it Ali Han? I don't know. Alim Han. You know what? I'm not even going to do it. I'm not even going to do it. I'm just going to call him Janabik. Um, against uh, Danny Dignum. Um, no, first of all, there was, it was just. I want to say this. They. It took too damn long for the main event. There was a ton of wasted stuff. They could have just ran the clip, talked a little bit about it, ran the clip, go to commercial breaks, and then go. You know, they they took like three or four commercial breaks. That just kind of threw me off. But Jana Bick, they probably knew what was coming. Uh, because Jana Bick, I mean, right away, just three or four punch combinations, just getting off right off the bat. Came with the jab, had the right hook, the straight left hands. Second round, several flush, uh, you know, 
Lance early. I think it was an uppercut that knocked him out, just destroyed him. Not much to take away from this except the potential of Jana back here. You know, let, let's see where he goes next. Um, and like I said, just to kind of update you, Jake Donovan from a couple of two days ago or something like that, WBA title bout to be ordered uh, must take place by November 17th, right? So you're thinking, okay, that's cool. They called it, um, you know, sweet. So, but here's here's the kicker, though. There is an issue here. Um, days before the fight, both fighters were notified by the WBO to confirm that the winner would be next in line for the full WBO title as Andre. Now, you know, he went up in weight. Now we know he's not going to fight that fight anymore. Um, so basically, uh, who previously sought the interim um, super middleweight title but is now on the hook for a mandatory defense, which much take, must take place by November 17th or 180 days from, you know, that, that fight. Um to do, do champion 100 days uh, about to be medically and physically ready, willing and able uh, to fight the winner. And here's the problem now. Um, okay, so Jake is saying that it's not going to be till September at the earliest that. Um, you know, he's even going to be healthy, Andre. So it's kind of like, huh, okay, so they call this, you know. So it says Andre was forced to withdraw from the event due to, you know, the, the Parker fight uh, due to a shoulder injury requiring surgery. Proof of the injury was submitted to the WBO. A lot of people say, oh, there was no proof. Um, who was informed that the unbeaten Southpaw would be out of the ring until at least September. The rehabilitation period likely ruins any chance of rescheduling the Parker fight, at least not with uh, him having abandoned it, oh, without him abandoning, you know, the middleweight title. So, I, you know, I mean, if he's not going to be ready till at the earliest September to happen November, so, you know, when you're coming off a a surgery and a rehab, you probably want a couple of weeks to just be in the gym to make sure you're feeling good. And then you start your camp. Um, this, like I said, the earliest September, that doesn't mean it's going to be in September. You know what I mean? So it could be late September. It could be like the whole point is you probably won't get a full camp then. So it's, it's, it's kind of, I don't know. It's one of those things where you're like, Oh sweet. That's cool. They called it. But then you go, huh? So they have the information, the WBO has the information that he won't be ready till at least September? Or did they have the information that he just had the surgery and here's, here's the injury, you know? So um, it is what it is, you know, but I, that's the thing. It's like the first instinct is to be happy because you're like, oh, sweet, all right, dope. You know, that's a good fight. Let's see if it happens. But he may not even be healthy to start camp on time to have a full camp. So, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's – I don't know. Anyway, the rest of the car, Target Johnson took care of business, looked pretty good. Um, he landed – I think it was a right hand that knocked him down, and then 
was it another right hand that for the second knockdown and TKO? Um, not much to report from there. You know, just he's early in his career, Tiger Johnson, so we'll see, uh, you know, where that goes. But um, Jermaine Ortiz and Jamel Herring um, obviously fought and uh, in the co-feature. And um, it was a pretty, you know, I would, it was pretty one-sided. You know, fairly one side. The punch rate uh, or the punch landed was 186 to 115. Uh, Ortiz figure he he landed 31 percent of his shots. Now uh, and he also all threw him almost by 200 punches, close, somewhat close to it, 596 to 429. Um, you know, Herring did some you know pretty nice things. I, I I gave him the the first round. I thought his jab and, and some nice left hands. Uh, were enough to give him that round. I gave him the fourth round as well. Uh, more left hand, some good inside body work. There was, like, moments of this fight where it just got sloppy. You know what I mean? It was a lot of inside stuff. Um, but I did give, you know, let's see, one, two, three, four. I mean, I, I gave him a handful of rounds. Um, I gave him the eighth. You could have gave him the sixth. Uh, Ortiz, though, in many ways was busier. Um, There was a lot of head clashes, especially early, I I do want to say. You know, even in the second round and in the third round, I thought that Ortiz, like, just closed stronger. Um, He was landing that one-two. You know, one-two combinations or just combinations usually ending in a flush right hand. Um, He was just landing the better shots pretty much throughout really. Um, but it was, it was, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a good fight down the stretch. Like I said, it was definitely fought in close corners or quarters, I should say. Um, but overall 10th round was even two way overall, though. I did give Ortiz the nod, you know, um, six to four, maybe, Six three one or something like that. I think the scorecards had a ninety seven ninety three for two of them and ninety six ninety four. So I was in favor, you know, right in that realm. Um, so Ortiz moves on, and Herring, after the fight, um, you know, did announce that he was retiring. Um, you know, he, he, there was a quote there that I thought I had ready, but I guess not. Um, so you know, he, he's had a solid career. You know, it started out rough. Here it is. I love this sport, but I owe it um, to my family to quit putting them through these moments. Thank you all. Whether you were with or against me, you made me who I am, but it's time. Semper five salute. So um, salute to you, uh, Jamel Herring, stand-up guy in so many ways. We had him on multiple times um, back when the, the show was more interview-driven. Um And uh, he was always a straight-up, you know, honest guy, wasn't bullshitting, beating around the bush or saying this or saying that or bitter, you know, stuff like that. He was real, like I said, a stand-up guy. And obviously outside the ring is mostly what I'm talking about there, right? But inside the ring, too, you know, to start out, have those two losses, have a good career, start out undefeated, then have those back-to-back losses. And then reinvent himself, pull an upset to get a title and, uh, you know, make a good chunk of change as well. So I'm really happy that he made this 
position. But, you know, taking no credit away from Ortiz, he had a good performance. And, uh, and I am looking forward to see, you know, what he does next in the future, no doubt about it. Because, like I said, he did have a, a good, good performance. All right, so just a couple more fights that we'll kind of review. Oh, um, Babbitt, the Savage against Adam, what is it, Balski? Is that his name? <laughs> um, what was it, like 15 seconds or something like that? Um, Babbitt was on the ground. Um, I think it was a left hook. It was kind of one of those shots that did land behind the ear or, or in the back of the head. Second round was like just back and forth, especially midway. Some good action in the third. Started to kind of slow down from the fourth to seventh a little bit, but it still had action. You know what I mean? Um, Babbitt had a ball ski on the ropes in the eighth, flurrying on him. Um, but even in you know in in that round or the round after, Balski landed punches uh, that stumbled back. You know what I mean? I think it was a right hand. Um, and uh, like in the tenth round, Balski came out with some fast combinations, just kind of putting punches together. Um, there was a point deduction, I think, in that one too. Now that I think about it, Babic would come back with two left hooks. Back and forth they went the last 40 seconds. Uh, you know, I, I think Babbitt closed stronger in that one. Um, you know, he was landing stuff off the ropes and whatnot. But 95, 93, and two had a 97, 91. It was just one of those slobber knockers is the term for it, where you're just like, yeah, these guys don't have a ton of skill, but it is entertaining. Also on that card, Chantel Cameron. Cameron? Cameron um, is now, what, 10-0? AKO, she moved on over a victory at UD over Victoria Bustos, I think it is. Bustos, Bustos. Uh, Buatzi and Richards. Okay, that's the one that I do want to kind of get into a little bit. Um, I thought maybe the first chunk of rounds, I would probably give it to Buatzi. First, probably four rounds. I mean, there was, you know, some competitiveness in there. It was kind of weird. Um, on the replay, although the action showed, um, like, the, the, the actual fight itself, right, when I'm watching it was at normal speeds, but the two or three times, and I didn't watch it live, but two or three times, and now that I think about it, they did have some technical difficulties. But the, the, the broadcaster's voice were, like, slow and deep. It was written, the crowd was weird, the sound didn't matter. You could hear, like, it would, like, skip to the last 40 seconds of the last round, even though you're watching the next round. It was really weird and kind of distracting there for a while. But I did give uh, Buatzi the first four rounds or so. Um, he just he landed the better shots. He generally closed stronger. Uh, left hooks, right hands were doing, you know, the trick. Um also, well, then Richards, I'd say maybe the fifth round, that's where he started making some noise. He had this, he kept faking his, you know, fainting his right hand, and then it would be like a left uppercut. He did that pretty well. Um, Boazzi definitely landed, like, hooks with both hands. He was putting that together. He had that double jab going as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, let's see it. The jab in the right hand, mixing it to the you know to the head and body, 
route. The fight was huge for Blavatsky. Eighth round, there it is. I did give Richards that round. He was kind of pivoting with the jab, landing those nice right hands. Um, and it seemed like a few uppercuts had him buzzed a little bit. There was like a late right hand by Blavatsky in that eighth round, too. That was a good round. The ninth round I gave to Richards as well. Very close round, though. Um, I think Richards is more consistent. Maybe like if you just looked at one solid, you know, like, okay, who landed the best punch? You could probably give that. It was still a question mark. You could probably give that to Pulwatsi. But I did give the ninth round to Richards. Uh, in the tenth round, kind of two-way the last minute, but overall the harder shots by Pulwatsi. The scorecards read two of them, 115-113, and one 116-112. I think that's about fair. Um I probably would have sided on the eight to four, though, uh, more than likely. But I thought this was, uh, once again, what, he's, he only had 16 fights or something, right, Buazzi, So, And Richards is a solid fighter. So, overall, you know, what you're trying to accomplish out of these fights, I, I think they, you know, I think they did. I think they did. And so, Buazzi moves on. Um, you know, they're talking, Eddie was talking like, you know, Bibble Buatzi, or I, you know, I don't know. I'm not really sure where he goes next, but he did look pretty good. He did look good fighting a solid fighter. So overall, I thought that was a good performance from, uh, and that was, was that Saturday? Yeah, that was Saturday. But there was that uh, Friday night on the zone. I wanted to talk about that uh, Leharonga against Medcalf. Um, that was a good fight. Um, First round was close. Second round, the pressure behind that solid jab, which he mixed to the head and body for uh, Leharanga. Um, then Medcalf came back and did damage. Um, I think he could have went three and three uh, through the first six rounds. I really do. Um, he had a good jab, did uh, Medcalf, landed a, a couple of nice uh, straight right hands. And he had this little um, subtle movement. Um, I think in the third round, the ref missed um, what I believe was a knockdown. It could have been a stumble, though, but there was a, a shot that landed on the head. I'm pretty damn sure. Um, uh, Leharanga, I gave the fourth round. It was competitive, but I thought he landed. You know, he, he brought that pressure with the jab. I thought he landed the better shots. Uh, the fifth and sixth, though, Medcalf came back pretty damn nice. He was countering really, really, really nice. Had the steady jab, and he kind of, kind of was doing this in and out pivoting stuff that was containing uh, some of the stuff, some of that pressure by uh, Leharanga. So I thought that was pretty good. The seventh round could have went either way. Um, the jab and the hooks seemed like they were still doing something um, for Leharanga, but then he started to fade. You could see his mouth was wide open started to wear down a little bit and that I started to think man he's not looking that good and, and sure enough I don't know how many more rounds down the stretch you could have gave him like confidently you know um I gave him the seventh um but not the eight I gave Metcalf the eighth uh probably the ninth and the tenth for sure he was busier like I said he had the jab right hand started uh, landed an uppercut and left hook in there. Left hooks in there. Like I said, just attacking the body and the head. That's so crucial, especially in big fights. So it was competitive. I think one of them had it 
97-94, and then 96-95. And I had it 6-4, max 5-4-1 for Metcalf. So I thought thought Metcalf deservedly won that fight. But it was tight. It was tight. And it was just a good action fight. Um, So overall, well, there is one more fight that I'll, I'll talk about. That was actually really competitive, too. But overall... The two main events here stateside, it's not like we thought they were going to be competitive, and in the ring they surely weren't. You know what I mean? I mean, it was really, you know, but we did get some pretty good undercard action. Um, Like I said, Yoel this Gomez, you know, getting in rounds. Ortiz looking pretty good on that ESPN undercard. So, um, but, you know, that Blotzi... Um, that Blotzi Richards fight was a main event. That was good. And also, I didn't watch the whole card, um, but that Pascal Fan Long uh, fight, that was really, really good. Like, it wasn't some great fight that I'm touting or something like that, but it was competitive. And Pascal had to dig into his bag of wild shots to, to, you know, with his head down um, doing the Pascal thing to, to win this fight because the first three rounds, maybe the first, you know, the first round was close, but for sure the second and the third were all Meng Fan Long. Uh, you know, he, um, he stumbled Pascal with some left hands, um, and he just landed like series of flesh left hooks along with this pretty hard jab. Um, now there was like a, a, a possible push slash punch, um, knockdown. Um, it said no knockdown, but you could, you know, I, I did see some people say that should have been knocked down. I thought it was more of a, a push to be honest with you. I did give, I think, uh, Pascal kind of finished stronger in that fourth round in the fifth round. Um, right out the bat, the first 30, 45 seconds, Pascal just flurried. Then you saw Fan Long kind of get back on his jab and, and land left, you know, pretty nicely. Um, but then these winging right hands, both to the head and body, Pascal, to me, that, that gave him the round. And at that point, I wrote down in my notes, it was such a small crowd that when someone's voice is so loud, and it's like high pitch. There was this woman in the in the crowd that was screaming throughout the whole time, and it was just like, "Oh, dude!" Like, just stop. It was so loud. And like I said, it was such a, a small venue, which is good for the crowd there because they're right on top of it. But when when someone can scream that loud, oh my god, that that was rough, dude. That was rough. Um, Sixth round probably could have went either way. I did give it to Fan Long. Um, more jabs and left hands. That straight left hand, when it was working, it was working well. But after, let's say, the sixth round, I'm looking at my scorecard now. I don't think I gave – the tenth round was very, very close. There was that There was that long break to tape Fang Long's uh, glove back up. There was two separate times. And it's funny because Pascal would just rush him after that. Um, so I ended up giving it to Pascal. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the 78, and I, I pretty much it was all Pascal after that. Like I said, those four right hands. And 
he would kind of wing himself inside after he'd land a punch, and then he'd shoe shine flurry on the inside. And, uh, you know, um, I think in the ninth round there was a right hand. Um, that's one of those things. Was it a slip or a trip, or was it an actual knockdown? They counted a knockdown, but you could have made, you know, I don't know, you could have made the, the argument there. It's not like Fan Long didn't still use a steady jab. And, and he, I thought he fought at distance, especially in the first half, really well. And like I said, that left hand. But overall, just the busier, even though they were looping shots, I, you couldn't really give, you know, you had to give Pascal most of those rounds down the stretch. So I think he ultimately did pull it off. Um, let's see. We had, oh, did they? Was it all three for Pascal? Oh, yeah, 116-111, and 114-113. Um, and like I said, I mean, Pascal really had to dig in his bag to, to get this done. I mean, it was not an easy um, accomplishment. Let's put it that way. I'm not trying to hype this guy up that he fought, but he's old as hell now. You know what I mean? So it's like he's been old for a while. As we know, you know what I mean. Um, also on that card, because uh, they have that um, what is it, last chance tourney? I think it was the was it the semifinal or no, it was the quarterfinals. Uh, Antonio Moran beat Jeffrey Torres. I think that was the pro. This is Pro Box TV. I think I forgot to mention that. Um, he won a competitive fight. I didn't get to see all that but I did get to see some of this. The uh, Dutch over um, won as well. He's going to take on Moran next, I believe. Uh, he won uh, pretty cleanly. Yeah, that, that was the, the quarterfinals. Um, and Kendo Kastat, what is it? Hold on. I know he beat, he knocked out Fredrickson. Um, Kendo, what's his name? Castanito or Castanita? Something like that, but he won really easy. And then uh, Joseph, well, this is the this is actually a headline. I'm looking at it right now from Keith Eidick. He says Joseph Fernandez bounces back from first round TK loss to beat uh, Wang on point. So um, their next event, um, Pro Box TV, they have that. Like I said, they have that last chance tournament going on, and it literally is kind of you know the last chance stuff. Eh, you know, they're mid-level fights. I wouldn't – well, they're not high-level mid-level fights, if that makes sense. Um, are they – I just think some of these are going to be competitive, you know. Well, we had one that was competitive. I saw the, the one that won a full eight rounds. Um, it wasn't just easy knockout or whatever. So, I, you know, we did get a competitive fight out of that. And – um they're not quite club fights. I wouldn't say that per se. Not that there's anything wrong with club fights, but sometimes it's like, you know, when you have a, a, a card of those, that's where it gets out of hand, whereas that wasn't the scenario here. We did actually get, um, you know, there. And I actually got a message. By the way, uh, Davies, Robbie Davies, did beat Javier Barely, Javier Molina, uh, Ellie uh, – was it Scotney or whatever? She won as well. I did forget to mention that. 
Um, someone just messaged me back a call. Um, what else was I gonna? Oh, this is um, this is Virgil Hunter. Uh, and this is from uh, boxing scene as well. Trainer Virgil Hunter on Blotzi. I can honestly say that he's ready for Bibble. That oh that I I I can't honestly say that he's ready for Bibble or Canelo right now. I can honestly say not right now because being at the world title level, there are just some things that I need to see. So I can't honestly say that. These are his quotes. But uh, he will always be in the fight. Trust me, he's always he'll always be there. I'm not saying that he would lose to Bibble or Canelo. I think uh, he gives Canelo fits. Um, that's that's what he said there. And he said, um, I just want I want him to make him just complete. Oh, I want to make him complete and give him an opportunity to win a belt and keep the belt, not just fight for a belt and go back down. Win and get a belt and keep it, meaning, you know, a little bit more experience. So when he does step up to the level, I'm good with that. Uh, Hunter has reservations about Blotzi facing some of the other dangerous titleists at 175. Um, with Blotzi promoter Eddie Hearn floated the idea of better BF. Uh, Hunter offered a, a flabbergasted stare at Hearn. Um, so... We'll see where that goes. You know what I mean? We will see where that goes. Um, I don't know. Maybe the Bibble thing, you know? Um, and just kind of going off, before we talk about the weekend fight and whatnot, some of those undercard fights, um, and, we're, you know, we have some fight news. There's actually been a fair amount of fight news. Um, you know, with this Canelo and Triple G fight, which, you know, makes all the sense in the world, really, you know. I, I never thought really much of going right into the Bibble rematch, you know, or the ball. I never really thought that that would happen. But he has said, but, I mean, at the start he said, yeah, I want it again, right? Um, but now that they had some time to think about it, it's like, why not just get this Golovkin fight? in a sense, out of the way, right? But, because it's a lot of money, and of course, the zone wants that, clearly. Um, and I'm getting some messages from some of the same people uh, who, I don't know their names, so I'm not going to say their names, but who are following up with these Canelo Bivol stuff and only taking uh, Eddie Hearn's numbers. Um, but, clearly, you know, this is a bigger fight. And, now they're talking about, and this is Eddie Hearn from the Dazone Boxing Show. Uh, he said that um, Dimitri Bivol and Canelo Alvarez rematch remains in the work for May, in the works for May 2023. We spoke to Bivol and his team. We're working on the rematch for Cinco de Mayo next year. There's no way Canelo won't take that fight. That's what he's saying. So, on one hand, you know you. You hear a lot of people out there saying, oh, sweet, so that fight will happen. Then that means the undisputed fights can take place as well at 175. And although that could mean that, it's not a guarantee either. You know what I mean? We can't just be like, oh, 
Well, for sure, you know, uh, if Bibble has another chance to make, you know, make that Canelo fight and make that kind of money, which clearly he'll make more money probably on the rematch, um, you know, why would he want to mess that up? But then again, you can look at the opposite way of Eddie Hearn, who co-promotes them. It's like, well, maybe they'll think, eh, maybe Bibble going for undisputed and all that. You know what I mean? Will 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 help actually, uh, and let him do that. And if he got beaten that time, oh well, we could still keep Canelo. You know what I mean? So I understand why Eddie Hearn would want to do that. You know what I mean? Um, would want to stretch this contract out with them. I mean, it makes perfect sense, obviously. Um, but, you know, we can't just, I don't know. It's just one of those things. Here's an actual a tweet that I'm kind of talking about. The best part of Canelo Triple G3 is, that in parentheses, hopefully, we don't have uh, we don't have non light heavyweights holding us up, finding out who the best light heavyweight is, and so it will be kind of interesting to see if those fights can be made, you know, um, in this time frame. I'm not sure if they will be. I'm kind of kind of on the fence about it. I really don't know for a fact if that's what's going to happen. Um, I mean, who knows of Eddie? He's a promoter, right? I mean, just not long ago he was saying, um, you know, after Buatzi that there's a very good chance that him and Canelo will fight, will win. You know, he, he's just saying it because that's, you know, what he'd want for his fighter. You know what I mean? So that, you know, I, I don't know. You just can't. We can't just run and assume stuff on either side of it. You know what I mean? Um, so we'll see. And when they say hey, we're trying to figure that out, right now it's a two-fight deal. And Canelo's going to do what he wants to do. So he may fight Golovkin and may not fight Bibble and fight do the two-fight deal with Charlo and Benavides with the PBC and then fight Bibble down the line. I mean, that's what I've said all along. There's no point in going up to 175 if there's still interesting fights, and there are, Charlo, Benavides, and uh, Golovkin. Well, he's fighting Golovkin. Why not fight those two and then go up for 75 for good? You know what I mean? I think it just it kind of just makes sense to go that route. But in that, that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if that's the route he went. But, of course, why wouldn't Eddie Hearn, like I said, why wouldn't Eddie Hearn do that? You know what I mean? Why wouldn't he want to? So um, it makes a lot of sense. That, that's pretty basic. Um, and, you know, as much as I – well, you know what? I'm going to piss him off a little bit more. I'm going to have to – I'm going to hold off on talking about the follow-up to Canelo and Bill uh, pay-per-views because um, it's not like we had some kind of, uh, you know, actual announcement. We did finally have somebody in the press, though, report some numbers. Um, and that was Dan Raphael, but we'll get into that a little later. Also from Talk Sport about Eddie Hearn also, he has revealed that he's spoken to Billy Joe Saunders' team about, a potential, about him potentially getting back in the ring in September or October, and Hearn named John Ryder a John Ryder rematch as a fight he'd like to make. That would be a good fight coming back. Um, Matias and Punk. I think it's Ponce or Ponce, Jeremiah and Subril Matias. It sounds like that fight is going to happen, and I think that is a 
really fun fight. Oh, I did forget to mention Steve Nelson and uh, Luis Rhodes um, got knocked off the card, uh, the ESPN card. They were supposed to be on that um, one of the the televised, I believe. It's because Steven Nelson was 6.6 pounds overweight. The contract limit was 173. He was 179.6. I mean, that's pretty bad. That's a lot overweight. By the way, speaking of uh, fight news here, um, Don King still alive in promoting somewhat. Uh, June 11th, uh, Brian and Du Bois calls it a stravaganza from Miami, it'll be a $30 pay-per-view. So Du Bois does get his shot to become a secondary whatever you want to call it. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, you know, there's that. Um, We actually have two women's fights that are huge, undisputed fights, Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall are going to fight either September 3rd or September 10th. That's according to the promoter Ben Shalom. This was on IFL TV. Savannah Marshall, Clarissa Shields in September. So that's a huge fight, obviously. Um, And like I said, there's multiple fights within the last couple of days that that got announced. And um, what is the other one I was going to talk about? Why am I just drawing a blank? Oh, uh, Meyer. Michaela Meyer and Alicia Baumgartner. That's the fight. They they don't have the exact um, date just yet, but according to Jake Donovan, multiple sources informed him that it will air on ESPN platform in the U.S. and Sky Sports in the U.K. Baumgartner and Mayer. That's a good fight. You know, we thought maybe it'd be a fight away, but that's not the case. It is actually happening. We don't have the exact date, but it is happening. So um, that's pretty dope. Ben Davidson was quoted the other day about Josh Taylor. The Jack uh, Catterall rematch is the fight he wants. And Jake, this this is what it was, uh, Michael Benson uh, tweeted that. And Jack Catterall over it was like, takes one phone call to make that fight. Because, you know, obviously – there's an issue there because, remember, Taylor was on board to give him the rematch, the much-warranted rematch, but he said it had to be at a higher weight because, you know, he's going to 147. Then we come to find out that there's some talks going on uh, with Zapata and Taylor, which would be at 140, presumably, because it was one of the uh, – it was for one of his belts that got called, you know, as a mandatory. So – it's kind of like, huh, okay, you know, like, that's kind of interesting. I, I thought that you weren't staying at 140, but if you are going to stay at 140, then we know, you know, who you should fight. And Jake Donovan yesterday, Josh Taylor, Jose Zapata, WBC, WBC postponed the first bid until June 10th. So he's clearly negotiating. Now, I guess you could make the argument maybe he's negotiating a step aside or something like that. But I don't know. One of the belts are already dropped. Uh, Zapata's a good fight. I'm not. I wouldn't. 
completely rip it because it is a good fight. Zapata is worthy to own it. But it just it sucks for Jack Catterall, dude, because he, he doesn't deserve a rematch. I mean, that's not even – that's not going out on the limb. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's clear. It's clear to say he should get that. Uh, another fight that we thought that Teofimo Lopez was going to fight Barboza. Well, it sounds like he's fighting Danilito Zoria in a 10-round fight July 15th. It's on a Friday, July 15th on ESPN, which I really like that fight. That's a good fight. Like I said, we're starting to get some of this July and, and uh, August and September uh, schedule filled up here. Here's another one for August 6th on the zone. Virgil Ortiz and David Avenesian have struck a deal. It's not 100% done, according to uh, Jake Donovan. I will say that. But he says that, um, you know, it, it, it's close. Um, this is what he said. Also um, worth noting, well, he's, the first tweet is, uh, the fight will likely be for the final WBC title eliminator, you know, which obviously is held by Spence. Um, but he said also worth noting has not officially done done. Ortiz is signed and ready. Avenition signed agreement, but has not received per multiple sources. So hopefully that fight gets done. I think it's a good fight for Ortiz, especially, you know, he went to the hospital. It's, a, it's his first fight back from that kind of Strange thing that happened, so I think it's a good fight. Also on that Barboza Zoria, I think that's his name. Um, Keyshawn Davis and Richard Torres in separate fights. They they did announce that as well. Um, you know, I, I'm not really sure how you know tough they'll be in because you know the prospects. Also, it's busy July 10th. Uh, Roger Gutierrez and Hector Garcia for a WBA title fight in Venezuela. So July 10th, Hector Garcia is the guy who upset Colbert, and Gutierrez and Colbert was supposed to be next after that. Well, you know, that's a good fight. That's a really good fight. Frank Warren said on seconds out um, that he said Joseph – or, yeah, Joseph Parker and Joe Joyce is being pushed back to September because Parker's trainer, Andy Lee's wife, is having a baby around the original planned date in early July. Warren said Joyce will fight someone else in the meantime. Interesting. Interesting on that. Um, do, 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 do. Is that all we got for fight news? I mean, I should say that's all we got because that's a lot. That's a lot of fight news that just came out. Well, here's some quotes from uh, Anthony Joshua. I guess some students were heckling him, and he went down and talked some uh, game the nickel and dime speech, we call it here. He went and tried to talk some events into the youth or something like that. I did see the little video clip. I'm not going to make too much of that one, but – Anthony Joshua was quoted on about the Alexander Usyk rematch. This is the first time in my career I'd say we are specifically working to a game plan. I based a lot of my success on raw ability. Raw ability wasn't enough, so now I'm going to go out there, try this game plan, uh, or I'm going to go try out this game plan training and see how it goes. 
See, he just says stuff that you're just like, what? What do you? We've already been down this path, you know. Like, it's just weird because he clearly in the Andy Ruiz fight had a different game game plan, talked about doing it, and did it in the ring. Now you could say Andy Ruiz, you know, came in out of shape, which clearly he did from the first fight. But what do you mean? Like you you stuck and moved. You you moved the whole time. You kept it on the outside, which I understand that fight why you did that. A lot of people didn't like it, but hey, he won the fight. So I'm not ripping him for doing that type of fighting style at all. But that was a clear game plan. He just says stuff that you're just like, what are you? What are you even talking about, dude? Um, on the Porterway podcast, which, by the way, is starting to gain some momentum, I've noticed. Um, Terrence Crawford, in his interview there, he said he's 100% confident that the Errol Spence fight will happen this year. I'm excited about it. I just can't wait until the contracts get signed. I've been waiting for this moment all my life. It's right there. It's right there. That's what he said now. There's some quotes uh, from Showtime Boxing. On the other side, from Spence, it's a huge fight for both of us. I don't see any stumbling blocks. I want it. He wants it. Uh, I got three belts. He's got one belt. That's the only belt I need to become the undisputed. Uh, that's been something I've been very apt about, about doing. So we're going to get it done. Um, you know, silence when it comes to negotiations going on and they're figuring it out and they're getting the right date for it and all that stuff, right? Money and splits and all that shit. When it's quiet, it usually means it's a good thing. And this is a great sign. Now, in boxing, you, you know, I just have a knee-jerk, you know, response on let's just wait until they announce it. You know, but and then some fighters who have a tendency to get injured and, you know, bail out of fights like David Hay or whatever. And some of them are real injuries. I'm not saying, yeah, of course, a lot. Most of them are real, real things or whatever. But um, there has been people that just get hurt a lot. I mean, Fury was it two different times he was going to fight Hay and Hay, you know, got hurt. So, of course, that's always in the back of your head or whatever. But. The way I look at this fight, it is quiet. And Crawford right there should have been, he could have been saying a bunch of shit there. Like, oh, I don't know, dude, Spence don't want it. Or, you know, he didn't say any of that. So it's quiet. And usually, like I said, when things are quiet during a negotiation, that's the best way for a fight to get made. It just is. And it usually means it's going to get made. But like I said, hold off a little bit, you know, I'll hold off a little bit, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I, I do feel pretty good about this. Um, I got a couple people in the last couple of weeks that talked about, um, Fox and what are they going to do next? And of course, usually it's going to be a pay-per-view or whatever, you know, Al and the BBC might still have those, you know, they had four pay-per-views contractually every year. So they've already done two. I wouldn't doubt if there's two more. But um, the, the Andy Ruiz news, news news was really weird because Triller announced that he was fighting 
a kickboxer. And then we heard, no, that's not right. He's fighting Ortiz on pay-per-view for Fox in the summer. And I still think that fight is going to happen. I do. I want it to. Um, It was a bummer, you know, like a while ago it seemed like it was going to happen, and then he was hurt. Ruiz, remember, and he, he, I think it was his knee, and, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I did do a little bit more digging, and actually, I came upon some stuff that's already recorded boxing-wise on my DVR, and sure enough, it's Fox doing, you know, like, a, like you know, hype shows, like basically fight camps, you know? Now, it doesn't say the names just yet, but they're not – I doubt they're going to do hype shows, much of them, um, uh, you know, repeats. So if you go into your cable stuff – now, you know how, like, you just say anything, boxing, just record it? And I have seen that in June – I think it's like – I don't remember, maybe first week in June, second week in June. But I did notice that it says, you know – Basically, they're going to look at the upcoming fights. And so there's like a, I don't know if it's a full-on just fight camp, but the other stuff, one of them kind of says look at upcoming events. So does that mean they're going to put out like a two or three fights? I don't know. Maybe that's wishful thinking, right? But uh, I believe that Ruiz Ortiz fight, as of right now, I think that's what's going to happen. But yeah, it did throw me off when you heard that, that news about Triller. Huh? What's going on? I don't, I don't get it. I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, it threw me for a loop, but uh, it is what it is, I guess, right? Um, oh, a lot of people talk about Javante Davis, and let's talk about that fight and fight guard or whatever before we uh, finish up our new stuff and boxing Twitter stuff. Anyone that's on right now, I, I didn't really tell anybody as far as John and Carcino or Josue or anybody that usually does talk. Um, I didn't call them just because I don't have a lot of time right now. My schedule has been crazy. So um, I just don't have a lot of time to do the show. But if you're on right now, you can press 1 and join in. But if not, that's cool. I'm not going to go to you. You just chill. A lot of people just listen and chill. That's cool. Uh, but Gervonta on the last stand podcast and other places too, uh, he basically has confirmed that this is his last fight with Mayweather Promotions contractually. I feel I need to be the one that controls my career. It's time everybody uh, doesn't, you know, doesn't need to have the training wheels on them forever. But he's also said that he may re-sign with them as well of, of late. Um, which got a lot of people thinking, oh, he's going to sign with this, oh, he's going to sign with that. And it's like, well, hold on, dude. Why couldn't he just cut out the middleman and maybe Mayweather Promotions would be the one promoting them anyway? You know, um, and he'd stay with Al. I really don't know what he's going to do, but I would, I'll say this. I'd be surprised if he didn't stay with Al. Um, if he's, I mean, it's more money not to be promoted. Now, Mayweather Promotions done a good job with them. You know, how much credit. It's kind of like K2 and Golovkin. They did a good job with them, but how much credit can you give them? You know, because some, some fans, or I should say some fighters, just fans flock to their fights. 
and a lot of it has to do with knockouts. Um, and that's just how it goes. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to take away credit from a top Loffler or, or you know, LRB or Mayweather or anything like that. Because, like I said, they definitely put him in. I mean, they put him on the co-feature of Mayweather and McGregor. Now, Gervonta didn't necessarily hold up his end of the bargain on that one, right? He didn't perform that well. He missed weight and whatnot. But they put him in really good spots, and then they've done a great job of moving him, not just in Baltimore, you know, not just in – because he did fight on the undercard. His first big one with Pedraza was actually at the Barclays. You could tell most of the crowd was already there for the main event because he wasn't the main event against Pedraza fight that he was actually an underdog in. Um, and then they, they brought him to Atlanta multiple times. Was it two times? Three times? Two times? He did, and then they went to L.A. Like he, They've done a great job with him there. So, like I said, the way it works, Mayweather or a couple of, you know, uh, TGB or a couple of these Warrior Boxing, a couple of other of these promoters will just get paid a fee, you know, to promote. And then they can put their fighters on, you know, the undercard and whatnot. I mean, it's it's set up similar to the Golden Boy scenario uh, in, in the past, anyway. So this whole thing is he's going to sign with Eddie Hearn. Well, I mean, is that the best place to be right now for him at 135? I mean, you could make an argument that just staying like what if he he's the A side clearly out of all these divisions. So why would he sign with somebody right now? Um, now, it, you know, Bob give him the Lomachenko fight at some point? I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think he'd give the Lomachenko fight if Gervonta signed with him, right? Um, but right now, like, we could say, okay, well, they have Loma, uh, top rank, they have Lomachenko. They obviously have Cambosis Haney, who's at least going to fight once, maybe twice this year. So you're not really probably going to get um, – you know, maybe they give him Lomachenko. When's the last time he fought? I mean, we know he took a break there, right, because, he, you know, he wanted to – I think he was working like Border Patrol in Ukraine. So when, did, when was his last fight? When was Lomachenko's last fight? I just, for some reason, I can't remember. But that's, I mean, if, if he were to be able to get that, and he, but he'd have to sign with him to get that, that's where I don't know if, I'm not sure what he would do there. Um, yeah, he fought in December. So if you come back in the winter or, you know, in the fall, fall, winter, whatever, I'm not sure if he's going to take a year off and then fight tank. I, that, that's what I don't know. I, I do think that he'd have to sign up because then sign the top rank because then Bobby's like, well, at least then I got Gervonta. If he beats Lomachenko, I got Gervonta. And then we also have Cambosis and Haney right now. If Haney's talking about if he if he beats Cambosis clear enough, maybe he won't want the rematch. Uh, and then he'll want Lomachenko. But, um, and Cambosis could win the fight clearly too. And maybe there wouldn't be a rematch, you know. So it's tough to say exactly what will happen. But the point is, those two fighters are clogged up at least for one fight, if not two. So they go there right now for the next fight. I don't know if it makes sense at all. 
um, beyond for sure getting the Lomachenko fight in the first fight, not getting there and waiting around. You know what I mean? So my guess is he wouldn't, um, and I'm almost positive top rank wouldn't give him that fight. Uh, but you never know. He, you know, he's getting a little older now. How many more fights does Lomachenko have? We don't know. Maybe, maybe he'll fight for three to four years. Maybe it's only a handful more fights. It's tough to say. That could be three years and five fights. You know, it's tough to say. But you know, I mean, keeping Lomachenko, preventing him from not getting beaten. Now, fighting Gervonta does help, though, because it's exposure, more exposure for him. But, you know, are they going to sacrifice Lomachenko? Potentially, Loma could beat Tank. If that happens, he beats Tank, that would be, you know, that would be ideal. Well, ideal would be for Gervonta to sign with top rank for his top rank, obviously. But if Loma beats Gervonta, then all of a sudden, whoever comes out of Cambosis and Haney, that's a big, that, that much bigger a fight. So it's interesting, but I don't think he'll go anywhere. You know, why Why would he go over there for pay-per-view for Bob to have 30% of his money? You know, what? why Why have that, you know? And it's not like Top Rank's going to promote him better than Mayweather already has. Mayweather promotions. I don't, you know, I think some of this has to do with tank style as well, but they've put him in. They've moved them all around the country. They've done a great job promoting them. And the, he even said, I may sign, re-sign with them, but maybe there's different – I don't know. It's not like you can put in paper that – well, you can, you, you, can put, you can put in contracts saying you have the last – like, I don't want to fight this guy. You know, I have the last call. Like, Canelo thought he had that with Gold Boy, but, of course, we know Gold Boy in the paperwork allegedly – you know, signed a deal where Zone had the last one. He saw that work. So I'm not really sure. But any, anyway, Gervonta Davis taking on uh, Roley Romero. You know, it's not, like I said, it's not a fight that um, on paper is like, oh. Now, do I hope a brawl ensues in all this bad blood that clearly does look like bad blood? Um, you know, does that – do I hope that pops off? Yeah. I mean, there has been Roley by knockout, I've heard, has fallen quite a bit. There has been put people putting money on that. Clearly, it's, you know, the the bad blood has turned more people onto this fight. I'm not saying it's going to do 350,000 buys or anything. Clearly, it's going to do a big, big, big gate at the Barclays, and it'll be nice, you know, I think this, is this the first fight back from Barclays? I think it is, isn't it? Or have they had one more? No, well, I think it is, since the pandemic, I'm pretty sure. So that'll be nice just in general. Um, but Germante is, a, you know, a big favorite. Uh, I've seen multiple people say the left uppercut, and this is something I kind of think as well, the left uppercut will ultimately probably get um, Roley. You know, Roley is an okay fighter. You know, he probably should or he should have one loss on his record. Um, but as far as, like, as a boxing fan, you always hope the fights just pop off. And you, you hope that it's a good-ass fight. There's a lot of talk. 
Um, and it's not like Davis is just stick and move every fight. You know what I mean? Even in his last fight, he did more of that than we've seen. Um, but still, that had to do with potentially injury, right? But um, he still was in there swinging. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, Rowley's a big dude. He does have power, but, you know, straight punching, like he just, I don't know. We, we have seen him against lesser opposition than he'll be facing. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, they're trying to box and then, like, brag about it. Oh, look, you said I couldn't box. But, you know, that's that's a, 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 a clear tier or tier two, two tiers down, right? Um, so I'm not excited about this fight. I've said that from the jump. Um, I just hope it's a brawl. That's what I do hope. Um, but, yeah, this one doesn't excite me much. Uh, but I do think that people tend to pile on um, trying to act like this is the opponent the last few fights that um, Gervonta's faced, this type of opponent. And it's one thing to want Gervonta Davis um, – to fight one of the big names, right? Like the Ryan Garcia or whatever, right? Lomachenko. It's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to act like uh, Hugo Ruiz or, or Nunez, you know, or something like that level or an old Gamboa is on the same level of what he's just been fighting. And that's just bullshit. See, the problem with today is people can't decipher that stuff. They just pile on when it's like, well, that's not even, that's bullshit what you just said there, you know? On one hand, some people even think Isak won the fight. On another hand, they call him a C, you know, a C fighter, a small C fighter, you know? Some guys want to see the rematch. A lot of people actually wanted to see the rematch. But then if he rematches them, it wouldn't be against Garcia, it wouldn't be against Loma, so he'll probably get shit for it. So it's like, Here's my point. I just named some people that I was like, all right, I'm good. I don't want to see him fight that level anymore. You know what I mean? I named some guys, right? Nunez, Ruiz, whatever. But in his last three fights, you know, we hear this C-level fighter. So you're telling me Santa Cruz is a C-level fighter? I don't think Barrios at 140 was a C-level fighter. Now, do I think he was the third best 140-pounder? No, but... He was on the bottom half of the top ten, and clearly Tank was going up in weight. So that's why I liked it as a challenge. And when you see that thing in the ring, I think people just get lost in, well, it's not Lomachenko. Okay, cool. But have they not been competitive? I mean, to call Leo Santa Cruz a C-level fighter or, or shop-worn guy, he got knocked out, but he was right in that fight. That's just facts. I do care about what actually happens in the ring as well, not just the pre-fight bullshit, right? And some of the times the pre-fight, like we talked about those two main events for ESPN and Showtime. The pre-fight was these guys are going to get dusted. That's exactly what happened, you know, so I get that. But in this scenario, it's like people are downing certain opposition just because they either don't like Gervonta or they're just – blinded by, I want to see him fight one of the big 
guys. Well, he's not going to fight Cambosis and Haynes. Loma, he wasn't going to fight him. I mean, he probably wasn't going to fight him anyway, right? But he clearly wasn't because, you know, Loma had to pull out of the fight with Cambosis. And Ryan Garcia was out until recently, and he don't want the fight right now. He's trying to fight Isak, even though that really wasn't the case, and he's going to fight somebody else. But my point is, there's being mad at something, there's being critical at something, legitimately critical, and then there's like, but hold the fuck up, dude. The Barrios fight was a tight fight. Rounds-wise, I saw a bunch of people have Barrios up on the rounds before the knockdown started happening. So clearly that, if you're down in the fight rounds, right before what, the, the eighth round when he started knocking him down, if you're down on the fucking cars, that means it's a legit fight. Isak Cruz, dude, like I said, there, uh, there's people in the minority that think he actually lost the fight, but that was a 7-5 fight, dude, 8-4 to four tops. So to call Leo Santa Cruz a shot-worn guy, then you see him in the ring, he wasn't shot-worn, he got knocked out. Sure, he didn't get knocked out, but he fought really well. Barrios, for a while, people had him up. And Isak Cruz, that wasn't a shitty fight. So that's not old-ass Gamboa. That's not Ricardo Nunez. And that's not uh, even an old Mares. you know? That's not those guys. So, you know, I'm not big on the rolling fight. I've said that multiple times. I hope that it's going to pop off. Gervonta has fans. So after I get off work, I'm going to watch it with someone that's already rented it. So... I know some people that, you know, like him so much, they're going to buy every one of his fights. I personally, if it was just me and somebody or just me, I wouldn't buy it, personally. Um, now, the undercard, Arislandi Lara, you know, I understand going uh, Jared Hurd and Brian Castaño in two tough-ass fights, right? I understand getting a fight or two to be like, eh. But this is like, I think, the third or fourth fight. Where it's like, what? I mean, you could say Spike O'Sullivan's a step up from what he was with, but we're talking about, like, Canelo's brother. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's just – I really hope he fights, like, Jamal Charlo next or something. He needs a, a big step-up fight. He's getting older. Um, it is what it is. You know, hopefully stylistically – you know, Lara hasn't been moving as much, so stylistically, hopefully it's entertaining. Lara should beat him pretty easily. If not, he's way past his prime. Now, the opener, Eduardo Ramirez against Luis Melen... What the hell is his name? Melendez? I think it's Melendez. Now, you know, based off where they're at, I do like this good opener fight. Um, I think it's an interesting fight. I do. Uh, you know, if you look at um, Eduardo, you know, he, he, what's his last fight? It was uh, Mariaga. It was Mariaga. I know he beat Miguel Flores in there. Um, obviously, the Bartholomew stuff is the one that stands out. He got beat by uh, Lee Selby in what I thought was a little bit closer of a fight than the scorecards. That was a while back, though. That was like... 2018 or 17, but Bartholomew, he had that draw with them, and then, you know, TKO'd him, like, in the fifth round or something like that. I know he beat Flores 
Avalar. Like, so he, he's put a nice little stretch together. Um, and Melendez, he just came off. He, you know, the, the Matisse fight was a good performance for him, right? That's his last fight. I think that was at the end of last year, if I remember correctly. But other than that, that's where it falls off for me. I actually was looking at the uh, box rec, just checking in, like, man, are there other? And I saw Walter Estrada. And, yeah, you know, Walter Estrada, like, 10 years ago, it's just like a really good prospect to go against, or, you know, as a prospect to go against. But, you know, that's not the case for some time now. And I'm just looking at it. I mean, he really doesn't have a whole lot there. you know. So, clearly, um, Eduardo Ramirez, you know, is the favorite in that one, going out on a limb. But where they're at prospect-wise, I think it's right around a three-to-one, three-and-a-half-to-one underdog. I think this is still a good fight for Eduardo, where he's at. I, I do. I think that's, you know, still pretty good. Um, so I like that fight as just, you know, an opener. Nothing too crazy. Should be good stylistically. But then Jesus Ramos against uh, Santa Maria. I like this fight a lot. You know, for re- I mean, it has like, first of all, Santa Maria just beat his uncle, Abel Ramos, right? Um, a while back, he did lose to Kroll, but he beat Fox. Um, Taylor, I think, yeah, he had a draw. I'm looking at it right now. He had a draw with that. Uh, Devin Alexander, an old devil, Devin Alexander, who, you know, some people thought, oh, Alexander's going to win this fight. Ten round, he beat him, you know, cleanly. That's for sure Santa Maria did. But to come off the Ramos fight, fighting a relative, you know, I like the idea of that in general, but I really like how they moved Ramos, you know. Step by step, he came off a, a good fight over Vladimir Hernandez, who had just beaten J-Rock, Mendoza, Javier Molina, who just had a tight fight. We mentioned him. So I I like the way they moved him, and I think this is another good step. I really do. And I think it'll be just a good fight. You know, now clearly, you know, um, Jesus is a a clear favorite. But where they're at in their careers, I like this one. I think it's going to be a good stylistic fight. Like I said, I'm not really going to break down Sullivan, O'Sullivan fight with uh, Arislandi Lara. Not much to, to write home about. Oh, Otto Wallen actually, uh, I think it's tonight, Otto Wallen and Rydell Booker fight as well. forgot to mention that. Um, I just saw that actually. So, yeah, that's uh, that's basically the card. Um, I got Gervonta by knockout. I don't know if it's going to be I – I feel like it's going to be mid-round. Uh, let's say round five to seven. But like I said, I just hope it's like, I guess you could say destructive. You know what I mean? I just hope it's like a good-ass fight, you know. But as far as like my whole point with that rant about uh, misplaced anger or whatever, or hate, hater or whatever, go ahead and dog this fight. But to act like the Cruz fight was a shitty fight until it happens in the ring. See, that's what happens with a lot of, like, PBC fighters, you know. Their matchups, even though they're legit matchups sometimes, are 
ridiculed. And then when it's a competitive fight in the ring, and I'm talking about from the press a lot of times, or people that you know are kind of part-time media, podcasters, YouTubers, whatever. But then when it's in the ring, then the A-side PBC fighters just, oh, dude, he's overrated. Or it just, you know, he didn't. He sucks. This this shows you how he sucks. Or, you know, so it's like, well, which one is it, dude? And people just can't admit that they're not professional matchmakers. You know what I mean? I mean, sure, they could say I don't make money off professional matchmaking, but you know what I'm saying. A lot of people on boxing Twitter, professional matchmakers. And when shit goes different in the ring, they don't just own up to it, you know, and say, I, I called that fight wrong. You know what I mean? Now, some of them do in certain fights, but like I said, a lot of times the A side. And when you're a popular fighter, which if you look at, you know, the top five, top eight most popular fighters in the sport, some, you know, a good chunk of them are PBC fighters. So they, they're going to get that hate anyway. I mean, Canelo gets it from every angle, right? So that happens. But, man, sometimes it's just like, what the fuck? Now we're calling him a C plus fighter. So 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 Leo's a C fighter. He shot one too. Going into that fight anyway. Um, I don't think there's much news. Let's just do a little boxing Twitter, then we'll get out of here. Mauricio Solomon claims that Canelo doesn't have to fight Benavidez because he's the franchise champ. Yet he was obligated under the WBC to fight Yildrum. And that's bullshit. This is what I mean by people that either are just doing it for Twitter hits, right, and likes and retweets and all that, or they just don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, Canelo put his hat in the ring, so to speak, in the hat. He put his, you know, he said, I want that fight. As soon as Benavidez missed weight and had to drop the belt, that's when all of a sudden, you know, when he got stripped, boom, all of a sudden, that's that's who he was going to fight. And so it kind of lingered. I think he fought – didn't he fight Callum Smith and then Yildrum and then BJ? So there was no mandate to fight Yildrum. Yildrum contractually and through the WBC, you know, that's who Benavides was going to have to fight, right, in that sense. So Yildrum was sitting there already with half of the – belt opportunity that was already there and then he requested Canelo came forward and requested that and of course if any sanctioning belt if you know Canelo comes forward and says hey man I want to fight for that belt they're going to fucking let him fight for the belt more likely right so that's what happened he didn't he didn't mandate that he have to fight him no one mandate because he didn't have the fucking belt but when you're franchised he was franchised at 160 but with that allows him to do is move through the weight classes. But as it stands now, now the WBC and WBO, WBA, IBF, they sometimes all of a sudden you're like, oh, so it's different? Maybe they will mandate him out of, out of nowhere, uh, David Benavides, but I doubt it. I doubt it. So it's kind of like, okay, you got the interim strap. Usually the interim strap is out there especially recently uh, as far as to just make you a, a mandatory. So I guess we'll wait for them to call a mandatory that franchises don't get called a mandatory. Um, 
I mean, that's just how it goes. You can hate it. That's great. I hate it, too. But, you know, when we're thinking about this. Uh, here's a title on boxing Twitter of a show. Um, will Part of the title is, Will Boots Stop the Spence Crawford Fight? Like, um, this is Ashy Knuckles. What's up, Ashy Knuckles? I'm far from uh, I'm far from a, a polymalinaji fan. I don't respect his politics or his views about issues where he has no personal experience pertaining to demographics he doesn't belong to. But the man has a great take in boxing and can break down fights better than 99% of the analysts out there. And I'd agree. I think that's a perfect statement, actually. Benavidez keeps mentioning Canelo like he didn't just beat his opponent who was past his prime too early for that fight. So now it's too early. You got, that's, got to, that's too early. Oh, here's a really funny one, right? Well, actually, hold on. Do people hate Benavides because he demands a Canelo fight or because he bullies Charlo? These people are so into their feelings. GGG was never an all-time great. Never pound-for-pound pound number one fighter. He was a damn good fighter. Like, really good, but not special. Not in the middleweight category of Monzone or Hagler or Hopkins. He was not all-time. He was just the best middleweight of his era, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's pretty sensible. Canelo stands – oh, okay, so this is under the – this is when Golovkin announced on his Twitter about the Canelo fight, the trilogy. Someone wrote above it, uh, Canelo stands told us fighters shouldn't sit around awaiting a payday. He says, this sorry mother effort, Golovkin, did exactly that and was, was rewarded with it. And it's, it's so true. He, did. he has just been waiting around for it. But he already fought him twice, so that's the difference, right? Um, what have we got here? Oh, this is from Steve Kim. DeZone and Matchroom Sports just stepped up and gave the people what they yearned for the most. The biggest remaining fight of 2020. They're 2022. I mean, Canelo is the one that did that, you know, to be fair. I mean, Dizona Matchroom gave them both the money, but Canelo is the one that made that decision. I think we're pretty, we pretty much. Um, Dizona only had 10 weeks. Oh, Dizona only, only had 10 weeks for to promote Canelo Bivol. They have nearly 17 weeks to promote. Uh, the trilogy. If they can't do a big number on this fight, it just isn't going to happen. Uh, because somebody tweeted these, and that was a over, you know, a, a response tweet, basically, um, a quote tweet, I should say. These next four months will be a test for the zone and matchroom promotional muscle and creativity in the U.S. A lot of work ahead of to build this fight. They cannot assume it'll sell because of names. We're in a much different uh, times than 2017 and 18. Which, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it sells on the third one. Uh, Canelo loses a fight, then announces another pay-per-view 17, later, 17 days later. Your favorite fighter would be licking his wounds for 18 months. That's such a... <laughs> that's such a weird statement, dude. Really weird statement. And if you think about who he's talking about taking a first L and then being out 18 months, if it is who I think he's talking about, you know, there were specific reasons. It sounds like he's talking about Wilder, but I don't know that for a fact. 
But if that's the case, I mean, do the math on that one, dude. Uh, COVID, uh, lawsuits, uh, I mean, there's a lot in there. Um, The person most excited by Canelo in Triple G3 just happens to be Steve Kim, who was and is paid by Loeffler for years. He's just happy no one is running PR. Uh, will remember he was laughing about George Floyd being murdered. That's Fred there. Um, that's about it. Oh, here's one more. The Ring Mag crew, Ring Magazine crew, likes to talk about their sanctity of their ratings. But when I was a member, this is Mark Ortega, by the way. But when I was a member of their ratings panel, uh, Golden Boy... Uh, Golden Boy Promotion hired ratings chairman Chuck Jampa. Jampa, I think that's his name. Jampa, that's right, right? And he put Broner at number five. And I remember, December 2012, I remember when Broner was five. Dougie, this is a quote from Dougie anyway, this is from Ortega. Broner's rated number five because Chuck thinks that's where he belongs. You know, um, because there was a lot of ratings talk this week. Uh, after Charlo, you know, um, or two weeks ago, I should say, uh, you know, should Jermel Charlo get in? He did get in, but Loma's there um, in his last step up against an elite fighter. He didn't show up for a good portion of the fight. Um, injury was blamed. He's gotten two decent wins since then, but, you know, why is he in that? You know, why is he in that? In the, you know, why is he in the top 10 pound for pound, is what they say. And, you know, when you were considered number one or number two or number three and you lose to someone that's damn good, you shouldn't just automatically get knocked out. But what has he done since then? And sometimes, So I agree. I see both sides of it. But my point is when they start to build up, like the Ringendow win is solid, no doubt. But we know that he did come up pretty high in weight. And we all think 135 is not great for Loma. 130 is probably much better. But I think we can all agree Rigo at 130 is not great either. <laughs> you know, so it's like they'll rip apart certain people's resume, certain boxers' resume, but then they won't be honest. Like they call, like Dougie Fisher said, Linares was elite. When the fuck was Jorge Linares an elite boxer? Not how he looks in the ring as far as technical skill and all that, but what is his best win is Luke Campbell? So why, I mean, should Ryan Garcia be in the the pound-for-pound list? And then they say Russell was elite. He was a, what they, I think it was 24-0 title holder. Well, first of all, he wasn't a title holder because they were fighting for the damn title. But is Russell elite? His resume doesn't say elite, but his skills in the ring a lot of times do. And he has some solid-ass wins, enough of them where you're like, yeah, you can call him elite. But that's the only guy that was elite. Riggle was elite, but not at one-third. Like, that's just not, that's not fair. It's just stupid to say that. And I think the worst one of them all, and this is pointed at Dougie Fisher because he's the one who said it, an elite Linares? When the fuck was Lenars ever? Go look at his box rack. Who did he beat to become elite? In most of his biggest fights, he dropped the ball. Now, 
Don't get me wrong. He dropped Loma. He fought really well in the fight. And they said, oh, he's on a 13, you know, win, 13 uh, fight win streak. Go back and look at those names, though. Let's, let's, that, those aren't, that's not elite. His best win was Luke Campbell. That doesn't put you in the lead. And if you back up, that's where the problem starts. Then you'll see he wasn't elite if you back up beyond Luke Campbell. So that's the thing. Anyway, this is Fred again. Loma is on our pound-for-pound pound list for beating Gary Russell. Wait, he's listed for beating the same fighter you guys spent mocking uh, for fighting TBA opponents eight years ago. And, they, you know, that's the thing. They'll terrorize Russell and, and, and rip him to death. And I've ripped Russell, too. Don't get me wrong. But then turn around and be like, oh, no, he was an elite title holder. Maybe I'm tripping on that. You know, maybe I'm tripping on that, right? Let, let's go back. I'll make it official. Maybe – Maybe I for, you know, maybe um, I think his first title was against when Marius got knocked out, right? Wasn't that his first title? Am I tripping? I'll go back to make sure because I'm getting these messages and I, and I like doing vacant WBC. Thank you very much. Gary Russell Jr. had it. It was a they fought for a vacant WBC. That's just facts. Okay. He lost. It was for a vacant WBC. Then he got it from Gonzalez, Yanni Gonzalez, two fights later, because Yanni beat. Remember, he, he, it looked like a left hook. I think going to the body, and he, he landed up top to Mares. So, and like I said, you know, he lost to Lomachenko. No big deal there. Um, when you look at Oscar, you know, Joseph Diaz. I mean, he does, you know, King Tug, like, he doesn't have a great resume, but I could see why people look at his skills and say he's elite for 126. Yeah, I, I see that, you know, and it's his best win still, no doubt about it, because I think resume-wise, Ringo is a little better because he has that, no, well, it's better, way better, because he has the Nodito Donaire win. But, like I said, we know at 130 that's not the same win. You know, it's it's just not, it's just not the same. Um, and then <laughs> let's just let's talk about this damn Canelo Bibble bullshit, okay? And I'm talking about the paper numbers now. On one hand, Eddie kind of says that, like when he gets interviewed about it, he said it did over six hundred thousand, and he also said, and I talked about this last week, that the hundred, I think it was one hundred thirty-three thousand. Someone actually said the cable and satellite, right? But let's just call it 150. Settled as 150, right? And he said at the zone, they got the rest of the buys to go to 600, over 600,000. So that means they tripled it from 150, 300, 450, you know, 300, 450, 600. They had to triple the numbers that you get at the cable. And that just sounds like bullshit. That's all. It just does. It just does. It really does. And for for Eddie Hearn, like this is a perfect tweet. Typically, Eddie Hearn is very vocal and does a bunch of interviews if he had a successful promotion. They weren't talking about that shit, whether it was at the gate. He didn't want to talk about the gate because it was lower, much lower. Uh, so the fact that they quietly threw out a six hundred to seven hundred thousand pay per view for Canelo tells me the number did less than five hundred thousand. I don't know what it did, or he squeezed in the glo- some sort of global numbers in there that they were pay per view. 
But and it's funny that this people wanted to you know just listen to Eddie. But here's an example of what I was talking about. Like the only digital stuff that had been reported really was like 10 to 15 percent, and that was Fox. That only 10 or 15 percent of the people that buy pay-per-view do it at the Fox app. Okay. Now here's something new that just came out with Sportico. And they said for the Fury Wilder 2, right, that did around 850,000, 800, whatever it was, that 40%, 40%. So basically of late with these pay-per-views that it says in this article, 15 to 50%, somewhere in that realm is what is starting to come from these apps. And so they're saying for, reportedly the digital sales, the app at ESPN Plus, because it was available all over the place, not just ESPN Plus, like the uh, Crop Reporter. They say that 40% of those sales, which is monstrous, right? That's a monster to be 40 or 50%, so half of them. And that's my point. If it's reported 150,000 people bought it on cable and satellite, you know, that would be – if you go to 600,000, that's, that's not half. half. The other half would be 150,000, and the thing would have done 300,000. That's my point. To think it did not only doubled to 300,000, not only you know went to 450,000, but over 600,000. You, you realize how many times you had to times it by 150 to go – there's just – it's very doubtful that it did that number. It's doubtful that it, and the way Eddie said it, he'd be like, well, there's going to be a report. They'll probably report it, but then later he'd be like, well, I don't know. I don't think they'll report it. I don't think they'll come out, but you'll see it a little bit or whatever. But the only one that I've seen is Dan Raphael, and he says it did an approximate 520,000 buys, and that includes the zone app, the, the, the satellite service, the linear television, all that stuff. And we know that it was 60 bucks on the zone. And 80 bucks on non disown He's saying it did 520,000. I thought it would do anywhere from like 400 to 600, 450 to I think my number was 4 450 to 600,000 or something like that. But I can believe a little over 500,000 more than I can believe 600,000. And I don't know if that's an exact thing or not, but that was my point. That's why I'm following up a lot of people just believe Eddie no matter what. Just think about what that would have had it done, you know? I mean, that's that's asking a lot, considering the promotion was just okay. Like, I, I gave him credit for running the, you know, the the ad during the NBA playoffs. That's probably, that is the best thing that they did. But the digital was way back than normal. Anyway, I'm sick of talking about this shit. Enjoy the fights. We'll be back next week. It won't be on a Thursday, um, but have a good weekend. Like I said, enjoy the fights. Let's hope that we just get some action going on. Anyway, be back next week. Peace. Once you become the world champion, I believe that you feel you have the upper hand.